business, leadership, high performance, the journey. All right, everybody, super excited for today's podcast. I have a phenomenal guest. Uh, Our guest today is really the glue and the engine uh, behind the scenes of the machine that North Dakota State Athletics is, uh, the football program in particular. So anybody local here in the Fargo-Moorhead area is going to absolutely love this episode because you're kind of getting to see behind uh, behind the curtain and see what the wizard uh, truly is doing there. But uh, the Bison football team has won 10 conference championships and eight national titles uh, in his 16 years here, including uh, eight national championships in the last nine years, which is absolutely unheard of. Uh, As a 27-year veteran of collegiate athletics, uh, he's coached All-Americans in various sports, uh, including eight NFL draft picks and 26 professional players at NDSU alone. Uh, Before coming to NDSU in 2004, he spent some time at Appalachian State, Georgia Tech, and Northern Iowa uh, as well as being a strength and conditioning coordinator at the U.S. Uh, Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs. Uh, he's been named Strength and Conditioning Coach of the Year by Samson Equipment, American Football Monthly, and the National Strength and Conditioning Association. He currently oversees the strength training, conditioning, agility, and nutrition programs for the Bison football team. And just recently in the last year was named Assistant Athletic Director for Athletic Performance at North Dakota State. So a native of Platteville, Wisconsin, uh, where we're actually catching up with him today, uh, where he's catching his breath after a short one-game season this fall uh, before the football team gets cranking again in the spring. And uh, off the football field and outside of the weight room, uh, everybody, I have to say, uh, he is one of the quietest, most humble guys you could meet, um, considering his lofty resume and achievements um, of driving teams and athletes uh, toward high performance on and off the field. So... Uh, excited today to have with us on the podcast, Coach Jim Kramer from North Dakota State University. Well, thank you for having me. F- appreciate that. Yeah, super excited to talk a little bit about uh, high performance today, to talk about kind of your journey um, as a strength and conditioning coach, a uh, little bit about your upbringing, and, um, and really about what makes high performers, um, not just in athletics, but I know uh, if we talk business as well a little bit, um, how do you how do you get those athletes and such to really transition those skills those those things learned over the four or five years that you have with them into uh, everyday life? So, um, as our listeners know, uh, we typically focus on the guest's journey, but uh, with Coach Kramer today, we're really going to talk about uh, you know how you help others on their journey to becoming those high performers. So. Before we dive into that, let's talk a little bit about Coach Kramer, uh, the one-game fall football season that you guys just wrapped up here. Uh, So tell me a little bit more just about how that season really developed from August uh, when you would have started fall camp to playing that game uh, in the beginning of October. Well, the one game came about kind of, you know, it takes time to get stuff done and and, and patience and that. And in athletics, you don't sometimes have a lot of time and patience and um, you know, we kind of gave up on it, and then all of a sudden there was a game. And we thought, well, now our coaches are out with a, if we have a game, we get to practice more. And coaches always love to practice more. And if you practice more, you're going to get better. It kind of falls into our philosophy here at NDSU with the, with the football program and with uh, the, the whole program, strength and conditioning-wise, too, is that if we can coach kids more and longer – we're going to develop kids. And, you know, the way we sometimes practice is different than other people. 
you know, we'll split up our team and we'll split up our coaching staff and we'll have the ones and twos on one end of the field repping and, 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 and practicing. We'll have the threes and fours on the other end of the field repping and practicing and split up our coaching staff to do that. And we feel that, make, that making that sacrifice, not just having those threes and fours stand around, that helps us develop players. Well, by being able to practice for this game more hours and more time, we felt like it was a big opportunity, even though it was just one game. It was a way to get our spring ball going, which a lot of schools I've talked to on my uh, trip today, just uh, um, down here, just I've talked to a couple other schools, and they're just starting spring ball on that um, with, in the fall here, which would be their, their spring ball. Um, and we've just finished it up, and we got to finish it with a game also and allowing our seniors to play one final game in the, in the Fargo Dome if that was going to be their final game. Give them that opportunity. It gave us a game for the fall. Uh, football's meant to be played in the fall. It's meant to be football in the fall. Um, so we wanted to get a, a game in, and we were wanting to get more than one game in. But we've got we got the one game in, and we've feel like we've developed some players over that time with that those amount of practices. And now we're going to go back into eight weeks of uh, of strength and conditioning in the weight room with Coach Kramer and lifting four days a week and running and when we once we get running we'll be running two to three and eventually four days a week as we get ready for what will be the the fall season in the spring so uh, that's kind of what that was kind of the rationale with that is and again it lined aligned with our philosophy well of developing players yeah it's such a it's a such an odd season really with flipping the spring and 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 fall seasons like that so it's like you said football is really meant to be played in the fall so it'll be It'll be odd turning it on uh, post Super Bowl and watching college football through the spring. But uh, I think you know one lesson that that everybody can pull immediately out of what you said already was the the piece about repetitions. You know, I know I've watched you guys practice numerous times when I was when I was teaching and coaching, um, watching the multiple fields, uh, like you said, the ones and twos, the threes and fours. Nobody is ever standing around, and that's truly what has made you guys a, a phenomenal program of just the extra reps, extra reps, extra reps. And I think a fantastic lesson that anybody can take from that is uh, if you want to get to great places and really truly want to become a high performer, it is all about reps at the end of the day because you're going to fail, you're going to make mistakes, but just rep, uh, you, you learn from reps, plain and simple. Yep, yep. Okay, so let's dive back into, uh, let's dive back into little Jim growing up, going back to Platteville, Wisconsin, uh, were you a kid, uh, Coach Kramer, that was into sports? Um, uh, had you given any thought to, I mean, strength and conditioning? Was that even part of growing up? Uh, t- take me through, what was it like growing up in the Kramer household? <laughs> um, you know, I grew up on a farm in southwest Wisconsin here. And, and um, you know, my, my brother... Um, I guess was, you know, kind of looked up to him growing up. He, when he graduated from college, I graduated from kindergarten. So it was like two families and uh, he wrestled in college. He, you know, high school, I never got to see him play football, wrestle and run track in high school. But, you know, there's always stories I heard about him through my dad or, or through people um, growing up. Uh, and so, yeah, there was an athletic, I guess, his household, um, you know, and, and again, we farmed, um, and my brother went, was, went on to be a coach and, and a high school coach in Wisconsin here. He was just, he's retired now, but was just last year was inducted into the uh, High School Wrestling Coaches Hall of Fame here in Wisconsin. I got a chance to go to the banquet. It was in the fall. It was about this time of year. And 
thank God the, the Youngstown State game was at 6 p.m. on a Saturday night. So I flew into Green Bay, surprised him, got there for the Hall of Fame um, ceremony, and got to got to be there for, for that for him. And then I uh, flew out that uh, next day to, to Youngstown and drove over I drove over to Youngstown from somewhere. I don't remember where it was. It was, uh, um, that was different. Uh, but so, you know, it, the, the coaching, even though dad was a farmer, uh, he raised two coaches and two decent coaches. I think my brother was a pretty good one. Um, and, uh, um, but I think there was a lot of things from the farm. When I look back on it, maybe I didn't see this right away, but when I look back on it, there was a lot of things that dad taught us that carries over to coaching and my family taught us, the community taught us. Um, when I, when I look back on what I really do day to day, uh, with athletes and players, um, some of that stuff means more than, uh, the sets and reps. And I apply that stuff more than, more than the exercises and, and that, that we do with the, with the players and, and drills and that, uh, some of that things grow accountability, responsibility, um, you know, work ethic, especially on a farm, um, teamwork aspect of it on a farm too, teaching how them, how to work together uh, to get something accomplished. Um, trying to find that oneness of a team with the, as you're, as you're getting a team to gel in the off season and that. So uh, there was a, there was a lot of things that, that I think dad taught us that probably, probably didn't know he was teaching us. So. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, growing up in the Midwest, everybody knows farming is just kind of a way of life. Uh, agriculture is just, uh, is just how we live up here. And, you know, you look at you look at kids today. You look at agriculture today now. And uh, my father-in-law actually farms, and I always give him shit about how you know. Well, Steve, you just sit in the combine, and you just turn on the auto steer, and it just beeps, and you just got to turn it around at yeah. the end of the field. You know, so farming now well, is I get the players a hard time about that too. Yeah. <laughs> Far, farming now is such a different lifestyle than mm-hmm. it was back then. So I want to know what is the worst what's the worst task or job that you had growing up on the farm? There had to be something. Oh yeah. There's a lot of stories, but probably the worst task was probably a, a hundred degree day and having to clean out the chicken house. Um so that was probably <laughs> the worst task or maybe it was you know, and again this applies to to athletics, but it's uh, you know, maybe it was the hardest task was, you know, we got a hundred degree day and we got to bale hay and dad looks at me and says, Hey, call up your buddies and call up your friends, get them together. We, we got some hay to, to bale her today. And I look at him and go, dad, these guys aren't going to be my friends. And we get done. I put them up in a hay mile on hundred, hundred degrees day and uh, with a tin roof. And they're not going to be my friends anymore. He goes, no, no, they'll be your best friend. Something. And sure enough, we talk about that stuff uh, um, to, this, to this day about those days, hot days of baling hay and those hard days. So. Yeah, it's funny how the toughest times like that really sift out uh, the people that are uh, meant to be around you and the people that aren't. You know, I'm sure you see that absolutely in the in the players that you coach yep. for sure. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. So sports. I mean, we're sports. Uh, you know, obviously, you man, you you work with how many teams at NDSU right now? I primarily just have I just have football right now. Um, Hundred anywhere from. Uh, 80 to 125 players, depending on the time of the year. So I've just got football right now, and and uh, that, that keeps me plenty busy between the lifting, speed, agility, the running, even doing a little bit less now with the nutrition now that we have a nutritionist, but still uh, pretty active in that. 
Okay, so being around, I mean, you're around athletes all day long. I mean, I imagine you get there probably 4 or 5 in the morning, and you're leaving uh, late evenings as well. Uh, were sports a big part of your life growing up? Yeah, yeah. I, I played, uh, I guess, all three sports, football, wrestling, and, and uh, um, a track and field uh, throughout high school. And in college, I played football and wrestled um, three years with each or two years with each. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, they, they were, they were a big part. Like I said, my brother was a high school wrestling coach. Uh, I remember going to the state wrestling tournament when I was very little, when he had kids there, they're competing and watching that, that, and, uh, watching his teams compete. And, um, so yeah, they were, they were big and mom and dad would make every one of them our, our, you know, events home or away. They would, they would be at everything. Uh, just that commitment to that, that I try to keep up with my own kids and that. Yeah, big part. So as you having a huge influence, I mean, on these athletes at NDSU, not just from an athletic standpoint, but uh, like you alluded to earlier, you know, just life lessons in general. Um, tell me a little bit about some of the coaches maybe that you had when you were younger, or maybe was there that one coach in particular that really influenced you more than others or really left a bigger impact than others? Uh, you know, <laughs> What call him a coach, but still, you know, I go back to my dad and, and just uh, what what uh, he taught me there. That, I mean, and w- that wasn't that he was really maybe that, that much of an athlete himself. Never saw him compete or any, anything like that. But, uh, um, you know, I, I always go back to the life lessons he, he taught me and my brother there. Um, you know, coaches, I, I had great high school coaches here at in, at Platteville and at the high school level back then, um, you know, now both knowledgeable about the game and just teaching you, trying to apply coaching or, or trying to apply athletics to life. Um, you know, sure, winning and losing was was important, but it was you know they, they would always teach us how that applied to life. You know, if you're late for practice, what are you doing? You're late for your job, something. And I that's one that I always try to really emphasize with our, with my own it's not just about being here for your workout today it's about using athletics to develop life habits um and and, and um things that you're, are going to carry over to life and how athletics carries over to life from the work ethic uh, to the training the preparation uh to the accountability and responsibility part of it um you know as i had several high school wrestling coaches uh just you know, I've always, I've always felt that, you know, strength coaching is a lot like coaching wrestling. Strength coaching, you're coaching exercises and movement. Wrestling, you're coaching moves the same way. And um, every time I, you know, have a an intern or a graduate assistant that's that's applying for a job and he's got some wrestling background, you know, I I try to, you know, look through that and see if they can see the analogy with it. And, and um, um, I've done some pretty good, wrestling coaches that that have uh, and wrestlers that have made great strength coaches and they always talk about that how that how the, the closeness in teaching those two uh sports i guess are yeah I, w- I would be the first to say uh you find a hard tough-nosed personality a lot of times there's a wrestler behind that yeah, and i know I know in in the businesses that I work with and the individuals I've worked with many times, you know, you find high performers, you find those people that are, have been really, really successful. You start digging into their past, and it doesn't take long to dig up that they were once upon a time a very successful 
not necessarily even athlete, but um, you know, you look back at their high school years, collegiate years, they were involved in something that really helped develop those skills, whether it's team building, whether it's persistence, um, whatever that, whatever it may be. So that's that's always interesting to see a person's backstory because it's uh, you know just the the development of high performing people in general does not occur overnight. Yeah, no, no, I you know would have seen myself college young years probably not to, to doing this and and uh, I think you develop that with with mentors and and as you go through you develop that drive. So take me through as as you left Platteville, went into college. Uh, what were where did your interests lie? I mean, did you see something like strength and conditioning as as that avenue right away, or did you kind of uh, transition into that? Um, you know, kind of transitioned into it because I wanted to go to school first is, is uh, to work with more with injuries as an athletic trainer, and found out quickly you couldn't participate in college sports. And be an athletic trainer. Just the hours and the curriculum was not was not set up for that. Um, and uh, then I found out about this career of uh, or strength and conditioning. I just got uh, familiar with the NSCA, the National Strength and Conditioning Association. Started looking through their journals. Started reading every journal. The journals were oh, they they were about five. The organization was like probably about five to ten years old by the time I discovered it or I was, was was going through college and and I uh, really thought, okay, you mean I can make a career out of being a, a strength coach in the weight room and that's that can be a career. Um, and that just took me from there from lacrosse uh, was where I went to do my undergrad. Uh, it was the last year or two that I discovered strength and conditioning. I had a uh, when I applied for an internship out at the Olympic Training Center, there was another Wisconsin lacrosse grad that was a head physiologist out there that hired me. And, you know, so every time that I see someone come across my desk, that's got a degree from university of Wisconsin lacrosse. I always try to give them an opportunity because someone, you know, gave me an opportunity um, way back and, you know, interning out in the training center and then getting connected with, uh, you know, the, the program at uh, Appalachian state with the graduate program in exercise science. And I guess at Wisconsin lacrosse, I always, uh, you know, even as an athlete in high school, I, I didn't want to, uh, you know, I wanted to do things the right way based on science, not just what you read in muscle and fitness. And they really hammered that home to us at Wisconsin Lacrosse in my undergraduate degree in exercise science physical education. You know, you, you had to get this information from a, a reliable source, muscle and fitness and the magazines on the shelf, kind of like the Internet today, is not a reliable source all the time. So, you know, that's what I did in, in, in when I went to look for a master's degree program. I wanted to look for one that had an emphasis or had done some research, not just in maybe cardiac rehab or adult fitness, but something that where, there were, where there was an emphasis in training athletes or strength and conditioning type of research or strength training type of research. And that got me interested in Appalachian State. I was a major professor there at the time, or two professors that were doing a lot of research in strength and conditioning. And I guess we called it anaerobic research and that. And so I got involved there. I got a little bit involved in, you know, I was, was done with college athletics, so I had to find something. I got involved with weightlifting and started competing at a national level with weightlifting and was doing it more so so I could teach athletes how to do Olympic style lifts and 
and teach them how to do these lifts that weightlifters were doing that was to be so beneficial for them. So got involved with that at Appalachian State and, and um, was fortunate to, to work with a really good uh, professor there and researcher in strength and conditioning research. It's kind of uh, nationally renowned and world renowned with his research in strength and conditioning. And, and uh, uh, he trained me as a weightlifter, got a little bit more insight there than probably the normal student would have had if, if it was just uh, um, in the classroom. And then got the opportunity for my first full-time job at, at uh, Georgia Tech in Atlanta, Georgia. So, um, you know, going from Platteville or Lacrosse or even Boone, North Carolina, Appalachian State, to Atlanta, Georgia, that was a culture shock there, moving to the big city <laughs> and working in downtown Atlanta and that. So, um, but uh, that, that's kind of, the, I guess, the path through, through, uh, the, through college there, just trying to find where I could get the best education with strength and conditioning and that, uh, with, with the right, um, with scientific backgrounds and that. Yeah. I love how you mentioned the part about the, um, giving people a shot, you know, and I think, uh, when it comes to athletics, when it comes to business, when it comes to leadership, whatever it may be, you know, I think, I think it's so important for people to realize that sometimes you don't get a lot of opportunities um, to do great things, and you only get one shot to really prove yourself. You know, And when you came into Appalachian State as a GA, I would love to hear uh, a little bit more about, because uh, I think when some people hear GA, they go, oh, boy, you know, knowing, knowing the lifestyle of a GA, because a lot of times it's, you know, you're living on a meal plan in the dorm and you're working 18-hour days and you're doing everything and anything for anybody. Yeah. So what what was your first experience like uh, just living that well, GA it lifestyle? It, it wasn't even a GA. Um, I went down there and they had just hired a new strength and conditioning coach. And I know when they, you know, when people told me, hey, if you're going to, you know, going to grad school, you got to get to know the strength and conditioning coach at at the university and work with them and get to know them. That's going to get to know the sport coaches, the football coaches even. And that's going to help you find that job. It was so different back then in 1990-something. Um, I won't go any further than that. Um, but um, it was it was different. There was not many graduate assistant positions in strength and conditioning. Matter of fact, I turned one down at a bigger university just to get the research background at Appalachian State. Um, you know, and I, was, I went down there as a as a teaching assistant in, in a class, not even a graduate assistant with athletics, and I just volunteered uh, with athletics and just went up and said to the strength coach when I got there, it was one of the first places I stopped and went to the athletic facilities and asked for the strength coach, and he was just getting there, so he was happy as heck to see somebody that wanted to volunteer some time. And I think the first day I helped him put a piece of football equipment together. It wasn't even – any strength and conditioning work. It was just putting a piece of football equipment together and then I'd run through a hundred times of lacrosse and that. So, um, so I guess that was the kind of the grunt work as a GA where you're doing all kinds of things and they don't sometimes relate to strength and conditioning. Um, so, and you know, in the first year there, I was just a, uh, a teaching assistant. Then I moved up to, I guess, a research assistant where I taught some labs and that, and the strength coach started paying me, to, I mean, I think it was hundreds of maybe hundred, a hundred or so a month or something. It wasn't much, is what I got used to get paid in the farm back in high school a month. And so I, I was, I'm, I'm fine. I'm happy. I didn't get in this profession to be rich. Um, I didn't get in this profession because of the money, or I kind of got into athletics because it didn't involve. I didn't think it involved money, but 
it does. It's just a business today, and and it, and it's it was back then too, I'm sure. But, um, you know, so it, yeah, it was meager pay, um, a lot of hours. Every hour I could put in. I mean, I wasn't really probably as much as I make our, our GAs and interns work today. I probably wasn't made to work that much. As use they were happy to get any hours out of me they could. Plus, doing the teaching assistantship down with the health and exercise science department too. Um, I just knew I needed that practical experience and to be coaching athletes, to be working with coaches and to be working with the strength conditioning coach. I knew I needed that experience. So, um, you know, you, you just did what you had to do. Yeah. I love the idea of, you know, just busting your ass to earn your stripes, really, you know, give value, give value, give value, help in any way possible and, and great things will happen. You know, I'm a, I'm a firm, firm believer in that. So, so, I mean, as you went through this journey, it eventually ended up bringing you to the Olympic Training Center. Tell me a little bit about that. Um, you know, I, I've been out there for as an, as an intern, and I was, at, I was at Northern Iowa before that, started their first strength conditioning program. I spent five years at Northern Iowa. Felt like I'd done about all I could there. Um, I was starting to ha- raise a family. And the hours, the number, you know, wasn't getting a whole lot more help trying to handle all the sports. And I thought, okay, it's, it's time I maybe make a career change, but yet stay in the strength and conditioning field. I uh, went out to the Olympic Training Center, was there, boy, not long, six months maybe, and I realized I missed the collision setting too much. There's too much, much of an emphasis there on developing athletes. Whereas at the training center, you know, it was real, you'd have athletes for a few months and then they'd be gone. Or... Um, you were training athletes even before the, this is really before, I suppose we could email, but before there was, there was no Zoom, um, but you were trying to train athletes from afar, write programs and send them programs. And I was just more, I was more of a hands-on coaching those athletes. And then just the collegiate setting with the camaraderie of the university and the teams there, I miss that a lot. Um, I miss football. I mean, we're, we went to the Air Force Wofford game one year, and uh, my wife asked me, hey, can you change our daughter's diaper? It was about half time. I thought, oh, yeah, I could do this in 20 minutes. I got my watch, and I'm, you know, I'm setting my watch for the 20-minute halftime that you do as a, as a coach or as one of my responsibilities everywhere I've been is this kind of strength coach helps keep the team on task or keeps, keeps the team on time track. And so I'm timing the 20 minute halftime, changing my daughter's diaper, trying to get back for the second half. And, and that I'm thinking, I just missed this too much. I've got to get back in the college setting. And, um, so the, the, the job at North Dakota state opened up and, uh, I happened to have done a, a clinic in South Dakota in Sioux Falls the winter before and met a former strength coach from here. And I called him and said, what did you think of the place and what, what's where they're going and what they're trying to do? And he says, you got to, you got to look at it. It's, it's a good place to be. It's, it's a, it's a great, great facilities, great staff. And, uh, um, I knew a, knew a dad's player that was, uh, um, on the football team here, got the same kind of feedback and, course when I got up here and, and saw how they did things the facilities the staffing that they already had in place I mean I kind of chuckled when there was questioning about them going division one uh, I thought no they need to go division one they're ready to go division one it's not like they gotta grow grow into it. we don't we don't have to grow into it we we need to do this and we can do this and uh, um, so it, it was it was a good feel from the start 
Awesome. Yeah. And before before we even dive into some of the NDSU stuff um, and kind of your transition there, uh, and I guess it goes along with this too, but um, talk a little bit, uh, Coach Kramer, just about uh, the work-life balance of just being a strength and conditioning coach, you know, of trying to trying to really launch your career, trying to start a family. You know, I love the diaper story, thinking, you know, having a three-and-a-half-year-old myself of uh, – of having to do that because I could picture that uh, definitely. But, yeah, talk a little bit about just, I mean, the struggle there of trying to balance time, trying to balance schedules, and and really find, um, you know, I, I I think a person's values really come out of what's truly important to them. And it's and it's obviously a struggle, you know, trying to find that, that fine line of uh, when and where. I'm probably not the one to talk about it. I, I, I struggle with that one a lot. It's one of the areas I've got to continue to work on. Um, you know, I'm one that I'm not going to leave the office that day or the weight room that day until I'm ready for the next day. Um, I don't always get to work. I mean, I mean, I get to work early, but it's not like I'm there an hour ahead of time. I want to make sure that hour at the end of the day, I'm ready for that next day and things are all prepared because there's, there's not a whole lot you can do when you got, 15 minutes even to an hour in the morning to get ready for something if you whereas there's a lot more you could do the night before so i and i've always emphasized that to my staff too is let's get this thing ready to go tomorrow morning so we're we're not scrambling in the morning um let's look at this tonight and make sure we're ready to go tomorrow morning with it um so uh, yeah it's it's a tough balance especially as a coach as a, in the coaching profession and then also as a strength and conditioning coach um uh, you know, we don't, it's not like we're, I always give our coaches a hard time. You, at the end of the you know day, you have practice. Okay. You practice for two, three hours. You got all day to prepare for practice. I'm continually practicing throughout the day. Or when our, when our football team lifts, I have them lift in groups, one that we can manage and coach in 20 to 30 kids at a time. So that takes quite a bit of the day to do that. Uh, we usually have them lifting three or four groups a day. And then Maybe there's practice after that, or there's preparation for the next day. So it it can get to be a long day. I mean, the best way that I have found to to do that is to, to get my family in, involved. I mean, it's, it was kind of this way on the farm growing up, and this is what I go back to is where you know where the family worked together on the farm to get something accomplished. I kind of look at the the weight room and the strength and conditioning area. I know if we have a meal uh, one night with the players and we're trying to get that ready, you know. I'll, Say to my kids, hey, stop by the, the Fargo Dome um, and, you know, grab the sure help us get something to eat, but but also, you know, help out with setting up or taking down the meal. And then not only that, do they get that, you know, they develop a little bit of work ethic there, but also they get to be around some pretty good role models and pretty good um, pretty good kids and, and just have some mentors to, mentors to look up to. Um, and, uh, and, you know, Student athletes usually aren't shy. They're not afraid to interact with young kids, and and uh, um, that's that gives them an opportunity, a win-win. So I've tried to work work things with that and have the family become part of the uh, of it. Just kind of the same analogy as the farm. Yeah, I I love two things about what you said there. Obviously, the family piece. You know, I love when you see on you know whether it's Sports Center, or College Game Day, or whatever it may be, where you see you see coaches, you see players get family involved. They're around the facility, they're around the players. You know, because a lot of times, I mean, man, being a a collegiate or professional coach, athlete, whatever it may be, there is an enormous amount of 
preparation. There's an enormous amount of sacrifice um, that has to take place there in order to do what you do. You know, and the second piece is I, I love how you opened up and are so self-aware of the, you know, it's it's tough. That, that work-life balance is really, really tough. And I know you've you've mentioned before about uh, knowing when to fight complacency and when not to. Um, what are your thoughts around that? Because that can be a struggle, I think, for so many people, especially high performers when it's, you know, you have that A-type high performer that it's got to be perfect. It's got to be at a right angle. I'm not going to stop until it's absolutely perfect. Um, tell me a little bit about that. Well, kind of where that fight complacency came from is um, we had just won our first national championship, I think, and LSU back then was had won, won two in a row or had, had won one or had repeated somewhere in there. And I happened to be talking to the LSU strength coach that I, I knew since I was at Georgia Tech on, I think we were talking about weight room flooring or something. And as we were getting ready to new, build our new weight room, and I go, hey, Coach, do you have any advice? Uh, you know, you guys have won a couple here or, or won some. How, how do you how do you repeat? What 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 do you do? Or, or you know, how do you back after it? He, he, he just, his exact words were, you fight complacency every day. And, uh, I mean, he emphasized that and emphasized that. Um, you know, and then after we won, I don't know, a bunch of them, he, he asked me the same question. I said, you gave me the answer. <laughs> and he was kind of shocked, but he remembered it when I told him about it. But, um, you know, and I, I would try to take it to the players too and say, hey, you know, um, would would we have done things this way last year? Would we have let that go last year? No. Get back out there, do it again. Now, when to fight complacency and what not to? I don't know. I think I've fought it every time. I don't. I don't. Yeah, there's there's definitely some things. Sometimes you maybe you, you let some things go, or you know some battles. You know you you don't fight, but I you know it seems like when you're a perfection, you try to be a perfectionist, you try to fight that complacency. There's not too many of them. I don't think that I've, I've let go sometimes, unfortunately. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's yeah, that's that's definitely a struggle, um, and it, you know it's just ingrained. I think it's ingrained in the high performers of just don't don't stop till you till you have it right, you know. So shifting gears a little bit here, uh, so you show up at NDSU. I mean, the program has become an absolute machine. Like I said at the beginning, I mean, listeners that aren't super familiar with NDSU, I mean, the powerhouse that the athletics have become as far as track and field and wrestling. And you look at the whole transition to Division One and uh, football. I mean, winning eight national titles in nine years, spitting out uh, multiple draft picks. Um, looking at the last three quarterbacks. Uh, Carson Wentz going to the Eagles. Easton Stick is now a backup for the Chargers. Uh, Trey Lance, as we're recording this, actually just declared in the last uh, day or two here uh, to turn professional. What What do you feel, Coach Kramer, has been? I mean, this is a really broad question, and we'll kind of we'll kind of pick it apart piece by piece. But what is the thing that has made the NDSU football program the most successful? Because I think so many people on the outside see it. And they go, oh my God! It is it is absolutely just a winning machine. And it, you know, I always think, man, when you get to when you get to a program to that level, I mean, your your athletes, I imagine, are almost running the show and 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 basically replicating the culture year after year after year with with obviously guidance from coaches and such. But you know, what in your personal opinion, what do you feel like are I mean the biggest factors in how that has been created? 
you know, th- there's a lot. It's not not just one thing. Um, it's not just one person. Um, you know, there's there's a lot that has has went into that, um, and a lot of things at the right time, at the right place, and, and that's so it's it's hard to hard to explain. I guess just just throwing something out, you know, just grabbing something right off the bat. Be our players have really learned to hold each other accountable. Our older players, we don't. Sometimes we don't even have to coach. Sometimes we have to pull our some of our older players off the younger players. Hey, just give them time. Okay, they'll they'll get it. But coach them first, and then and then you can call them back. But coach them first, um, and that. So it's you know we, you know Coach Bull especially gave that leadership over to the team, and and made them and had them hold each other accountable. Um, you know, whether it was a drill or their performance on the, on the football field. Um, you know, the, the, the leadership and, you know, trying to stimulate leadership um, with, with each class. And it's, you know, I know when, after we won the first one, Coach Bull asked, you know, do you, do you see any signs of guys just thinking it's going to happen? Just thinking, you know, just not working and, and that it was in not to think it was going to be handed to them. It was, and I, from the beginning each year I'd say no I see guys wanting to step up they can't wait to be the ones to take the reins and be the leaders of this team um it was it was not you know thinking it was just going to happen it was it was guys wanting they couldn't wait till it was their turn to make it happen uh to to be that leader and uh to to be that uh one to hold others accountable with that so um I guess that's 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 one piece that leadership that I holding each other accountable um yeah and pass down yeah and obviously you know the the mental toughness aspect of everything too you know when you have a team that is repetitively winning and not just winning i mean dominating dominating the the conference the national scene you know you have to have some extremely tough mental uh mentally tough athletes and I think there's yeah, a huge there's a huge misconception myth around mental toughness and what and what that really is. I kind of hate that term, mental toughness. Um, even even that's you know, it's hard to believe coming from a strength coach. It's hard to believe coming from a wrestler. But I don't think I always said I don't think one person is mentally tough. I think you you get guys together, you get athletes together, you get players, men, women together. Then you have toughness. You're you're tough together. The togetherness equals the toughness. Um, you know, coaches are always looking for a drill or an exercise or something to make the athletes mentally tough. I don't think it's a drill or an exercise at all. I think it's the daily grind, the daily, do you know, doing it day in and day out, not getting complacent, doing it day in and day out. Um, that daily grind um, is what makes that mental toughness. I know... I had that said to me earlier in my career uh, when I was at Georgia Tech. Um, I had left Georgia Tech actually, and they were and they were starting to win. Went to a couple bowls. Uh, coach George O'Leary was the coach there. I know there's some controversy there, but he was he was a he was a hard nosed um, uh, coach from Long Island and, and from that, that area, uh, Northeasterner, and and uh, he was a tough coach, but he was a fair coach, and players loved it to play for him. And I know our, our head strength coach, I talked to him after I'd left a year or two, and he, and he goes, you know, I think our kids are just so mentally tough, not because of 
any exercise or anything we do here in the in the weight room that I have them do or Coach O'Leary has them do. It's just that we don't give them a break. It's day in and day out. They're going, they're going, they're going. And uh, I mean, I know you were always worried about athlete burnout, but uh, there's something to be said for that routine and that grind and that getting that investment in. Um, you know, Vince Lombardi saying, when you've worked hard enough for something, you'll fight like heck not to, to give it up or not to, to lose it. And uh, I've, I've used that one that analogy for years from, from uh, Coach Lombardi, but uh, just Wisconsin background, I guess. But um, that's what I think is mental toughness, is and develops mental toughness, is is that daily grind and that, that daily being able to continue to push through that. Yeah, as, as most people I think know, one of the hardest things to do is once you are on top, is how do you stay on top? Mm-hmm. So I know I know Coach Kramer, a big influence of yours has been the All Blacks team. And for those that don't know who the All Blacks are, it's a New Zealand national rugby team. Tell me how you've taken parallels and philosophies from that team and really applied it uh, into the NDSU teams that you've worked with. You know, I just we just were um, made aware of that team and that culture maybe two three years ago was all. And um, uh, just was just when Coach Ince took over, so it's only been two years. And we started talking about it, and then I then we we read the the book Legacy, and it wasn't just me; it was some of the players were like, "Holy cow, this is a lot how like how we do things." You could substitute the word "all blacks" in this book with Bison. I don't know if Coach Bull or another coach had read that, and you know, but there's a lot of things that. That's, you know the teamwork, the te- the oneness, the, the togetherness. That was that uh, you know we've always tried to strive for here. Um, the sweeping the shed mentality, you know, to develop and to, and to maintain humility, where you know the, the coaches, the, the players clean up after themselves. The players unload the bags off the bus. I mean, our players really took to it just because it was already something we were doing. Um, and, and then the parallels were like okay, this is why we win, and this is why another team wins. You know, so this is – we're definitely doing things right. We need to keep doing things right. We need to take it to another level. So I don't know how much we – you know, there were some things that was in there that we got too that, okay, all right, this is different, you know, but it was a lot of, okay, this is why we do things, the community service aspect of it um, and, and what they – talked about in there and and developing character through community service and character, you know, talent. Sure. You'll win with you, you, you know, you'll win championships with talent, but you repeat with character. Um, And it was like, okay, yeah, that's exactly why we turned it around from three and eight. We've kept this going is we continually try to develop character with our, with our athletes and have recruited that more than we recruited talent. And that, so it was, it was like, you know, we, we were on the right track. We, we just solidified some things, I think. So the one of the biggest obstacles um, holding people back from high performance that you see, you know, you work obviously with athletes. You help them transition into, you know, that, that transition from athletics and collegiate life into the lovely office, office sitting at a desk job maybe, right? And, you know how do you how do you help the how do you help them bring that competitiveness that teamwork aspect that accountability aspect um, to that and and with that I mean I think there's a there's some misconceptions also around um, you know even though the business world looks to athletic teams and coaches for advice and such those worlds really aren't the same. Oh no, yeah, it's, 
I know I think it was probably Vince Lombardi that started doing a lot of that and, you know, trying to get that analogy. But, um, yeah, it's it's not the, not the same. I mean, I hear that from former players that go out and they get frustrated and, and uh, you know, I wish I could make them push plates or I wish I could make them do up-downs to, to get here on time or whatever it may be. Um, it's, 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 it's tough to, you know, and it's, it's just, it's tough to take that mentality sometimes out in that, that world. I think you, you've got to reshape it a little bit, uh, into, in today's world, um, and see what motivates maybe even the non-athlete. It's why we always have employers calling us up, not, you know, not summer employers, but employers look, looking for athletes to just because of their competitive drive and their, their preparation and perfection that a lot of times employers will call us to, you know, do you have anybody that's, that's going into this field or that would be interested in that? So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if that really answers the question there, but it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a different world. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, no, that is for sure. That is, I don't think anybody would, uh, anybody would doubt that, that playing collegiate athletics and then sitting at your desk for eight hours is, uh, quite a shock. (laughs) So I think most everybody would wish they could go back. Um, so throughout throughout your journey, you know, what has been the biggest learning experience of you know what a strength and conditioning coach really truly is and what you're truly about? You know, I work with businesses in in finding uh, you know part of what we call their core focus, their purpose, their cause, their passion. You know, and strength and conditioning, being a strength and conditioning coach, is about so much more than just making. 20-year-old kids move weights and run and optimize nutrition and things like that. And your learning experience, what has it? what is it really truly about? It's about the student-athlete. It's about the, the your, your athletes you, you, you work with and that. That's why you've got to be in the profession. Um, you know, I, you, you have, I, I was taught that early um, in, in my career by uh, my first strength coach that I ever, first or second strength coach I ever worked for is, you know, that's why you're in this. And and, you know, that's why you're going to stay in it. And just the athletes I've worked with through the years, they've, I mean, they've taught me that, I guess they've, they're, they're the reason that, you know, you know, I remember this was way back at Georgia tech when I had a 45 minute drive to work and thinking, okay, I, I don't know if I want to go to work today, 45 minute drive. I'm getting tired on the way in. But even then I knew once I got in the weight room with the athletes, it was going to motivate me. And that's what's kept me young over these years too, is, I work with 18 to 22-year-olds. It's It'll keep you young. I mean, yeah, it'll keep you on your toes, wear you out, but it will keep you young, too. Um, they've, But that's why you're in it. Uh, we had a, uh, a former athletic director at Boston College come and speak to us um, a couple of years ago and come and speak to the staff and, and that. And it was mainly meant for the younger staff he, he was coming in for, but I went and listened to him in that. His first question, you know, was why do you do this? Why are you in athletics as an administrator, as a coach, um, you know, whatever? Why are you in it? And he went around the room and asked some of the young, young, uh, young staff. And you know, sometimes our, you know, in the athletic world has expanded so much. You've got a much larger. It's not just coaches anymore. You've got you know a large administrative staff with marketing, um, you know, compliance. I mean facilities and all that it's gotten big i mean to the point where sometimes your athletic staff doesn't work with your athletes that much and they really the young staff really had a hard time pointing out that you do you know 
reason I do it is for the student athletes and that, and I mean, he, 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 he said, this is why you do it. This is why you will be in this profession 10, 15 years from now, if you're still in it is because you want to do it for the student athletes. You are here for the student athletes and you want to do that. You, and that energizes you and that, that's what motivates you. So, I mean, that, and that's what's motivated me through all the years too, is just those relationships you form and those relationships you have, you know, I still have athletes that call me up from 10, 15. I've even had an athlete contact me when I was from Georgia tech. When I was down there, we got in touch here um, uh, a couple of years ago. He's a coach and athletic director out in Virginia. And uh, uh, those relationships, you know, just as much as people made an impact on you, you made an impact on them. And that's, that's the rewarding part is those relationships. Yeah. And I love it. Cause a lot of times it's the last person maybe that you ever thought you made that deep of an impact on. Yeah. Uh, right. I remember that from coaching days. So let's, let's talk real briefly about next season. If we can call it that, I don't know what you call it now <laughs> with one game here and then eight more games, at least yeah. guaranteed coming in the spring. How do you start preparing for that? Is it basically just a flop of your season from fall to spring? A little bit. You know, we just got done essentially with spring ball. And like I said, there's a lot of teams right now that were kind of practicing during September and kind of weren't practicing. Now they're going into spring ball. So I really broke up their off-season preparation to me as a strength coach when I look at it. I mean, I always give the football coaches a hard time. Oh, we got to play football again? I mean, when, when am I going to get a strength and conditioning season? When am I going to get a weight room season in that? And we got we to play all this football. Um, so... With by by having our spring season early compared to a lot of other schools at our level, you know, I'm, now we're set with an eight-week off-season here, hopefully, from uh, mid-October here until Christmas. Um, so that's when we'll get it'll kind of be, I guess, either our winter or our summer workouts where there's no football. It's just strength and conditioning, running, lifting, um, and, and doing that. We're there with me. We're this is my this is my end season. I guess this is my season. Uh, the, the the time that I guess I'm the most most important right now with them is is this time right here this off season this this the winters are my busy time of year and the and the summers are my busy time of year normally not not the falls usually falls I usually you know see them twice a week maybe uh, maybe the redshirt freshman four times a week but for the majority of the team it's just twice a week so now we're going into the off season here uh, in the fall. Uh, it's going to be different because we're going to have a three or four week Christmas break. And that worries me just because on the backside of that Christmas break, we come back for a week or two and then we're right into fall camp. I mean, we've never went from, we've never would have thought of taking the month of July off or a few weeks off in July and then having fall camp. It's just, it just doesn't, you know, it doesn't make a lot of sense. So it's going to be on those kids' shoulders a lot to do some stuff at home during that Christmas break. Um, to try to keep themselves prepared because when they come back, we're only have, going to have a couple of weeks and then we're into a season essentially into August. Um, so, you know, it's not just the kids, it's going to be the situations that they're in too. Um, you know, we're in the upper Midwest here and we're going to play an outdoor sport. There's not going to be too many football fields available in Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota, heck Wisconsin. We've got a lot of kids. There's not going to be too many football fields available over Christmas break in those parts of the country. So, we're going to have to figure out how those kids are going to train um, to be ready for a football season when they come back in January. So that's going to be different. We'll practice for about a month there like we do in August, uh, a month before we play our first game in February. 
and then play eight games and maybe play more um, with the playoff setting. We'll play, we'll hopefully play more in the playoffs. Um, who knows how far we'll get. You, you don't want to just, just national championship games and that just does not come along all the time. So you'll, we'll play as long as we can until they stop telling us to play football is usually what I tell the kids in January, December. Um, and then we're going to probably have to give them some time off there again, but, you know, because we're going to go right back into the fall, and I doubt if the fall season is going to be adjusted much. But we've also learned from those national championship years that the best way to get in shape is not to get out of shape. So um, I'll try to sell them with that. But, you know, you know, we get done in end of April, May there, we'll probably take a, another week or two off and then come back at it again. And, um, you know, the biggest thing you worry about is just two football seasons in a row staying healthy mm-hmm. um, when do you have surgery and stuff like that. So if you have to have surgery on something. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I wish you guys the best of luck in the upcoming season, um, as crazy as it has been and will be in the spring. But, um, yeah, definitely looking to make that push toward toward Frisco again. But I uh, absolutely love what you do, Coach Kramer, as far as just developing not just athletes but really high-performance people, high performers that are not just going to be – um, athletes, you know, the thing I always thought about when I was coaching was, you know, you, you're, you're really in it to develop high performing parents, spouses, fathers, yeah. you know, cause that's, that's really what it's about, you know, and, and like you mentioned earlier, seeing those athletes and those, and those guys come back and tell you about the successes they're having and, you know, you see them end up going to med school beyond and things like that. Those are the things that are really, really exciting and, and where you really see, mm-hmm why you do what you do so but um i know there's some compliance issues as far as uh you on social media and such but uh assuming we can find info at gobison.com yes yep yep there's not much more there than probably email you know i tried twitter during covid the first part of covid there and that didn't actually actually work out like i would hope it would work out because of some (laughs) compliance rules i couldn't do what i wanted to do in terms of motivating the players and keeping them in touch with each other. So I had to put that to the side. So I'm not very involved on Twitter anymore. Um, but uh, if I need to turn that over to my son or daughter to keep that account. So, uh, <laughs> we'll be, we'll be watching for your TikTok videos coming out soon. Okay. Yeah, okay. Sure. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again, Coach Kramer. And uh, with that, everybody, don't forget to follow me on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, you can find that at Patrick Metzger coaching. Uh, I appreciate everybody for listening, tuning into the episode. Be sure to subscribe to, rate the podcast. Uh, As always, you can find show notes from today uh, with Coach Kramer on my website at patrick-metzger.com. And lastly, uh, tag me, uh, take a screenshot of this episode, uh, share it with somebody that needs to hear today's message about high performance, about accountability, about uh, work ethic, and and how character is really truly what's going to get you far in life. So uh, until next time, I want to remind you to own you and the journey.